from this one. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our guest segment. We're super excited to have her back with us. Her name is Allie Anderson. Her new book is Encounters, Extraordinary Accounts of Angelic Intervention and What the Bible Actually Says About God's messengers, angels. Allie, good to have you back with us. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us, let's start by what is an angel? Because there are so many weird things that I hear as a, as an evangelical Christian, I hear people talking about angels and saying some really bizarre things like there's this angel that they pray to and there's this angel that's doing things. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, that that's not a biblically what an angel is. This is sort of caught on in a bad way in the whole new age and, and pop culture, hasn't it? Absolutely. Uh, what a loaded way to uh, begin this discussion. There's about 20 different things I could respond to in that statement you've just made. Um, I will start by answering your question directly. What is an angel? The truth is that um, the word angel means simply messenger. There are places in the Bible where an actual human being is referred to as an angel, and it is because they've been entrusted with a message. So when we look really at what angels are, they are messengers from God. And when you focus on that definition of them, just by default, that weeds out a lot of these other things that you're that you're alluding to when you make the statement that you've made. And yeah, you're right. We have a big problem right now in the church. And actually, this book was written in response to kind of an emergency situation that's taking place in the church. Um, you know, unfortunately, 25% of self-professed Christians actually claim to read their Bible each week. Now, when we when we have a church that is so filled with people who are out of touch with what God's word says, this leaves them wide open to be to to be misled about what angels are and because angels are a spirit being that many people don't understand, they they can tend to mistakenly be elevated to a godlike place by people who aren't uh, in tune with what the Bible defines them to be. And it, it opens us up for a lot of trouble if we're not really watching. But yeah, an angel is a messenger. And uh, that is that is actually their role when, when they come as an angel. There are other beings in the heavenly realm. There are seraphim and uh, cherubim and um, other and I and I'm pronouncing that wrong because cherubim is actually cherubim, but when you say that, a lot of people um, don't recognize the word. But you know, these other beings are described as being in the heavenly realm and as being even in the throne room of God. But they are not angels; they are different kinds of heavenly beings, and we discuss that in the book as well. Because when you get kind of that straight, which is which, that helps a lot with understanding what an angel is. Now, I have never seen an angel or had an encounter that I know of. But you hear a lot of people that have stories 
where something happened and it was it was a person, at least they thought. But then later they're convinced that it had to be an angel. What do you make of that? Is it possible that you could see someone that just looks like another person, but in all reality, that's actually an angel that is intervening, doing something. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Hebrews 13.2 tells us that we could be entertaining angels unaware. This means that angels are perfectly capable of showing up looking just like us, so much so that we would mistake them for a person. And it's, it's one of the ways, you know, that God can... Um, that God can judge our deeds when, when he says, you know, to, to entertain those who need help, we could be entertaining angels unaware. This literally means that when God sends people to us who are in need, sometimes we could be taking care of an angel and we were, and we, we didn't even realize. Wow. That, that, that's, that's a, that's a big thing to think about, you know? I mean, the people that you run across every day, one of those people that may be asking you for help, could really be a, an angel and you're you're being tested now i have to tell you um my angel story which is not really my story but it's a story of from my grandfather and um I'll get your take on this so my grandfather who is a wonderful christian man he was not one to believe in a lot of supernatural things you know happening every day this was a very unusual thing that he shared with us and uh he was a big believer in uh angels and he uh loved the book really his favorite book i think was the book by billy graham called angels Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. and this was he became a a fan of that book because of this event that happened to him which i'm going to tell you right now so in in their home just outside of chicago there were five children one of whom was my mother and my mother at the time i believe was only five years old and she's a 75 year old woman today so this was 70 years ago uh lived in a small home outside of chicago it was about 3 a.m as my grandfather told the story that he had an uneasy feeling like maybe something was wrong so he got up and started walking out of his bedroom down the hallway and he smelled gas the smell of gas and their home was heated by gas. So he, he turns the corner where their gas heater is. And he sees, as he describes it, two seven foot tall beings glowing white with their arms outstretched to the gas heater. As soon as he saw them, they disappeared. He went over to the heater and the heater was pouring out gas. He turned it off. The pilot light had gone out and something else had gone wrong. Had that not happened, they would have all been dead. No question about it. The amount of gas that was pouring into that home. And he told us that story, never wavered, never changed it, never had any other story like that. That was his only story uh, of anything near that. And I, I always loved that story. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, it didn't happen to me. But but in a sense, if my mother had died that night, I would have never been born. So I was Mm -hmm. indirectly saved by an angel. What do you make of stories like that? Well, I think that case by case, you know, these stories can be kind of um, compared to what Scripture explains about angels, and that's kind of where we can determine, you know, what kind of thing has taken place. And so when we look at angels, what they are, they are ministering spirits, they are warriors within the spiritual realm, they are protectors, uh, they do deliver messages, um, they 
pr- participate in prophecy. They uh, nurture and give care when God sends them to do that. And sometimes they deliver God's wrath. But, you know, the Bible is is pretty clear about where our help comes from. It says the Lord is our refuge, our fortress. We are delivered because we call on his name. And so when we un- we we actually began this book with a bunch of stories of people who had similar similar stories like the one you've just told, you know, situations where they feel like their life was um, intervened and somehow either their life was saved or they were protected from, from something else or a moment that changed their life significantly and brought them to salvation, things like this. And every time when we look at biblical cases of angelic visits and we compare them to modern day stories of people claiming they've had an angelic visit, one thing we notice is that the angels show up they do something and and they they leave. They don't stay around and have long gratuitous conversations with people. They don't stay and let you worship them. In fact, a real angel of God, you know, Revelation twenty two eight and nine tells us will stop you if you try to worship them. And so you, when you have this situation where you say, "I had a funny feeling something wasn't right. I saw a being, and there was this life saving intervention that took place, and then they were gone." This is this is very in line with how, you know, Scripture explains to us that angelic intervention happens, or they come and they deliver a message, and, and then they leave, you know. So this, this other situation where we're talking about people having these spirit guides that come to them by night and put them through these series of tests, and they have to pray, and they have to jump all these hoops, these, there's nowhere in Scripture that this kind of an angelic visitation lines up with, but the one you're talking about matches very well with the kind of angelic visitation and intervention that would take place in Scripture. So I think that that's incredible. So when we hear people today in the New Age movement, uh, if they even still call it the New Age movement, they they use this term spirit guide. My spirit guide Mm -hmm. said this or told me this. And they tend to then sort of interchange that with the idea of an angel. That's not the same thing. No, it isn't. And, you know, again, we can look to Scripture for um, for answers to some of these things. So, again, I'll mention that Revelation 22, 8 and 9 tells us that an angel from the Lord will not let us worship him. Uh, you know, John had, had begun to to think this was something that needed to be worshipped. And he said, see that you do not do this. I am a fellow servant of the Lord. You know, but when we look at Ephesians 6.12, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Okay, so... Then, when we also look at Romans one twenty five, it says they changed the truth of God into a lie, and they worshiped the creature instead of the creator. So when we are worshiping an angel, if it is an angel from the Lord, it, it would stop us. If it's letting you worship it, it is not from the Lord. And when we consider that everything that is taking place, we don't see the unseen realm of spiritual warfare that's taking place around us all the time. But when we are worshiping entities that are not God, we are strengthening the wrong army in the perimeter of our life. And, and we're, we're losing forces that are not from God to work in our lives. And so, so we really have to remember that it's, we need to be very discerning about what we what we allow to have any kind of power in the spirit realm around our lives. Do we all have an angel, this idea of a guardian angel? Is there anywhere in the Bible that 
talks about the idea that we all have like officially assigned to us an angel? Okay, so <laughs> that that is something. And actually, what we do when when we get to something like this in the book, and and we we did run into a few. You know, you have one field of scholars that interpret scripture a certain way, and they believe something, and their point of view is very. You know, it's very well argued and it's well supported. Then you have a different group of scholars who say it's this other way and their side is also very well supported and very well argued. And sometimes in this realm, we we don't know all of the answers as it pertains to every finite little detail because God has told us in 1 Corinthians 13 that we see through a glass darkly in this life and then we will know later in the next part in, in the next life. There are some details we may not know in this life. So I will tell you that one group of scholars, um, basically it's based on Matthew 18.10, and they say, they've spent, they've spent the last nine scriptures defending the position of little children, and then in eight, Matthew 18.10 they say, their angels behold my Father in heaven. Um, and then when you look at Psalm 19, 91.11, they say, um, the Bible says, he shall give his angels charge over thee. And um, so some people say every child has a, has a guardian angel. But Hebrews 1.14 says that the angels will be uh, protective over those who will be heirs of salvation. So some people say it's every single Christian. Then there are others who say, hold on a minute, some people become Christians because of an angelic intervention which saved or changed their life, so then when you say who will inherit salvation, are you talking about anybody who will at any point in life, because God knows who will and who will not make a choice for salvation, are those each designated their own angel? And then some people say it's every human being that's ever existed has one assigned to them. And, you know, each one of these, if you really look into each of these interpretations and arguments, they're all pretty well supported. And honestly, I can't give you a definitive answer. What I can tell you is that when we call upon the name of the Lord, he will dispatch help to us. And yeah. if he chooses to do it through an angel, we will receive that intervention. And sometimes he chooses to do it through another human being. They, he might send a person. You're stranded in the middle of nowhere and you're, you're in trouble. You're having car trouble or there's some, there's some reason that you feel very unsafe in this situation. God may send an angel to you, but he also may send a, a person. And in that moment, it's, it's a, it's a human being that has been impressed to stop and help you. And, and that's the kind of intervention that God has sent. Wow, that's that's great. And, and, you know, I've always felt like I had a guardian angel, but it's not something where it gets really strange in today's culture because people say they know the name of their angel and they're talking or praying to the angel. That's where it gets off track. Has has this idea of angels within sort of pop culture? Is this new this notion of praying and talking to angels and calling them spirit guides, or has this been around uh, for a few decades? Well, I I believe it's very trendy right now, yeah, and so it's it's got more awareness. Um, the new age has has absolutely gained a foothold in the church. And again, we're talking 25% of self-professed Christians claim they read their Bible once a week. When we don't have a church that's in their word of God, how will we know what's a spirit guide and what's an angel? And it, it, when 
when we don't even know what the Bible is telling us. And so as the church continues to decline in their diligence about understanding what the Bible says, they will continue to become more vulnerable. And a few examples of this are... um you know, something I find very alarming is that we have something right now called an angel board. And I will say that the use of this in the church is not completely widespread right now, but the fact that it's being used in any churches at all is something I find very alarming. It's called an angel board. It's basically a white Ouija board. And by white, I mean it's colored white instead wow. of black, like a typical Ouija board. Um, we have angel cards. These are basically tarot cards, but they have... I got to stop you, though, on this angel Ouija board. <laughs> okay. What, what, what in the world is it? I mean, are the people sit around and ask the board questions like they do with the Ouija board, and then supposedly the angel is answering their questions? Yes, that's absolutely oh what goodness. it's used for. And yeah, and the angel cards are basically a version of a tarot card, and they're being used wow. for communicating with angels as well. And so, see, the other thing we have to understand when we look at Scripture is that people ask God for help, and God sends the angel. And, you know, we, we see all, especially throughout Psalms, you know, that, that I, I look, I look to the, to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. There's, there's no place where we're supposed to be praying to our angels. And, you know, there are only three angels named in the Bible. There's Michael, Gabriel, and then Lucifer is named. Those are the only three angels that are named. So why, why people suddenly think that they know their angel's name, I'm, I'm not real sure about that when scripture is not even real gratuitous about naming, you know, these creatures. But what's funny is we, we've come to this place in our society society where we like this idea that we have an angel. And so people say, well, I have my angel. And I, 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 this sounds like I'm being mean, but I really don't mean it to be mean. But I, I want to say, we don't have any angels. You know, the Bible has told us that we were placed within creation a little lower than the angels. God has lots of angels. You know, Revelations 5.11 tells us he has at least 10,000 times 10,000 angels. But we don't have any. We, we, we have a God who has lots of angels. And sometimes he sends those angels to help us. And it could be that he has one appointed to each one of us that watches us continually. But we don't own angels. And people like to think of them as um spirit guides or even like a genie, like you can ask it for favors. You know, that's Barbara not, Eden, it, again, I dream of genie. Scripture, that's never. <laughs> yeah. And that's, ne and that's never how uh, a scriptural visitation from an angel manifests. That's never how how it happened now it was kind of a little bit tongue-in-cheek clarence the what did he call himself a second class angel in the movie it's a wonderful life and you might be too young yeah. to you i'm sure you've seen the movie though um but yes. are, are there occasions where you know here you have a man who is basically going to commit suicide uh, in, in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And there's an angelic intervention. And, and, and I mean, obviously, that's a movie and it's Hollywood and all of that. But in real life, um, ha, have, did you discover a story like that where somebody was going to kill themselves or was really in that kind of a desperate moment and it, there was an angelic intervention? 
Well, yeah, actually, um, so we, we start the book with several stories, and these, these were actual first-hand accountings of people who had given um, us their stories of angelic intervention. And Mike Kerr, and he's the uh, director of the ministry here, The Watchman, he actually talked with us. And there was a period of time after he had um, he, he had actually been very successful, and then um, he had he had gone through a period of injury where he had become addicted to some prescription drugs, which turned into an addiction to street drugs, and he ended up homeless. And there was a period of time where he didn't actually say that he was going to kill himself, but he got to a point one day where he had hit bottom and he kept telling God, either kill me or save me. Hmm. That's just do one or the other. And he he was basically wishing, you know, for death if God didn't intervene. And this is one of those situations where the angel did not appear glowing and seven feet tall. And we do have some stories of that in our book. Uh, Bruce Venata, who was um, pretty much cut in half by a Peterbilt logging truck that fell on him, he he had an out-of-body experience, and he saw two glowing seven-foot beings holding his body together. So that's fascinating. But Mike Kerr did not have that happen. What he saw was a human being-looking type being that came up to him, uh, just thought it was a man. And in fact, there were two of them. One came up and gave him a pair of shoes, and then within just a few minutes, the next one gave him some money. And so he's holding this money, and he's thinking, I can go buy a fix, or I can go do something with this and change my life. And it was very tempting for him to go and get his substance fix, but he kept remembering that he had said earlier that day, either kill me or save me. Hmm. And instead he bought a bus ticket and he rode it to the end of the line and ended up at a ministry that helped him change his life. And, you know, that so it, it's fascinating how these different things happen. But again, these being, these, these, what he thought were men, but he believed them to be angels, came and gave them some, gave him something that intervened in his life, and then they were immediately gone. Now, when we talk about angels, and you just mentioned a moment ago, Lucifer, is it mm-hmm. is it also equally true that we don't really know what a demon looks like necessarily, and that a demon could be in human form, and that just as angels are interceding for our good that there are demons interceding for bad things to happen. Oh, absolutely. That's why it's so important that we understand that everything going on around us is spiritual warfare. You know, again, Ephesians 6.12, we, we aren't wrestling against flesh and blood. We think that we are, but what's really going on is a very powerful battle is taking place in the spirit realm. And what we strengthen in our life, what we bind on earth is bound in heaven, what we loose on earth is loosed in heaven, what we what we allow power in the jurisdiction of the spiritual realm of our lives becomes strengthening to one army or the other, and that's why it's so important that, again, we're in our word, um, the Bible says that Lucifer can appear as an angel of light. Yes. And and so absolutely, there are deceiving forces out there. And again, that is why you know these these we uh, you know angel boards and the and the and the angel cards and the and the spirit guides and things like this. If it doesn't align with scripture and it's trying to visit you, <laughs> if it's letting you worship it, you you have to understand that this is not from God. 
Is it your view that as we, I mean, we're obvious, I, we used to say maybe we're in the end times, but I have no doubt now. I'm watching people burning down malls. Uh, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then we just had a two month shutdown of the entire country. I mean, if we're not in the end times, I, I don't know what, where we are. Uh, is it your view that as we get more in, in closer in to the return of Christ, uh, that we're going to become more aware of this spiritual battle that's going on, that it will become more apparent to, to all of us uh, what's happening in the spirit realm, that these stories will not be so isolated, that this will become more commonplace, that we're going to see these things. Well, there's there's kind of a twofold answer that I would give to that. And one is that if we look at Genesis 6, which I'm going to borrow a little bit from Josh Peck here, but, um, you know, Josh Peck has written some about how the uh, activity of the evil angels ramped up around the time of Genesis 6. And of course, after that, we have the flood. And so what we can learn from that is before God's about to administer judgment, there, the spiritual battle increases. Okay. But at the same time, unfortunately, what we see in the book of Revelation is that man's heart is going to continue to wax cold. And it, it, I actually, I'm, I, I'm unusual in the sense that I do really love the book of Revelation and it's, it's, very, uh, it's got a lot of doom and gloom in it, but what we see is this continual threat of God asking mankind to repent. And I love that despite what's going on in this world, that He allows for repentance, even, even up after the point in time that the Antichrist has, uh, you know, manifested and all of this stuff is in completely like crazy end times full swing. He's still giving opportunities of repentance. And so unfortunately, is it going to ramp up? Yes. Is everybody going to register and recognize what we're seeing? Probably not, because we understand that all throughout the book of Revelation, even though all of these absolutely apocalyptic things are going on, the book continues to say they repented not of their idolatry and their blasphemy. And so what we have to do is try to just continue to raise awareness, you know, when and, and, and get people to soften their hearts and to be aware of what God's saying to them, be aware of the messages that are in the Bible, get people back in their word and warn them about what kind of spirits they are loosing in their life and things like that, because... We want them to be able to identify what's happening as the spiritual battle ramps up so that when it becomes time for all of these things to happen, maybe somebody will say, I recognize this. I heard about it, you know, on the radio or my grandma told me. And and maybe they will be some who do repent. Speaking of the flood and, and judgment and times of judgment, I know your book also gets into what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. I've got some sample questions here from your publicity department. Uh, how does that, uh, how is that addressed in your book? Uh, what angels were doing at the time of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, we actually, um, we actually do talk about that at length. Um, this is, this is one of those stories that really gets people because, and, and the, I think the one single thing that really bugs people the most is the fact that Lot offered his daughters. So we'll just jump in right there and say, you know, we do get into that, why he might have done that, what his motivation might have been, um, whether it was cultural or whether it was a matter of his faith. And, you know, there's there's several different reasons that he might have done that. Um, again, they're all 
fairly well argued and supported depending on just which which view you think is the most reasonable. But what we have to do is remember that people people love to say, well, if God is a loving God, then how come dot, 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 and then insert whatever the next thing you want to say right there. Um, you know, people say, if God is a loving God, then why did Lot offer his daughters? Well, God didn't tell Lot to offer his daughters. Lot got ahead of God. And if we really look at what happened, you know, the, we're all familiar, you know, the angels came into town, they were there to assess the evil, the evilness of the city. They had just been with Abraham and Abraham had done some kind of, you know, bargaining. If there's 20, if there's 10, um, you know, it, will you spare the city? And so they, they were, they were there at Lot's house and it says that the entire population of the city surrounded the house. A lot takes matters into his own hands. He goes out. He tries to calm him down. Then he offers his daughter. That's a very controversial point. But the next thing that happens is this crowd turns in on Lot, and there it, the Bible says they're going to bust down the door. Immediately, what those angels do is they blind and incapacitate the crowd. And Lot gets inside, and they've they've barricaded the door. And the first thing these angels do is say. Who's going with you? Let's get you out of here. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But, you know, the judgment is coming on this city. Let's get you and your family out of here. Who's coming? First of all, they didn't say, what eligible men are you going to bring as we get you out of the city? They they took they took Lot's whole family that was willing to go. But the thing we overlook when we think about this story is the fact that those angels were never going to stand by and let those girls go out to appease an, uh, an angry and, and very, uh, you know, lustful crowd, the angels intervened right away. What we, what we see here is an example of a man who didn't understand what Psalm 8, 5 tells us, and that is that within the order of creation, we were made a little lower than the angels. We don't protect angels. When God sends them to us, they protect us. We don't take matters into our own hands. Those angels never intended to let those girls be sacrificed to that crowd. And I think that's a beautiful fact because we get very hung up on the fact that Lot offered his daughters. And it kind of makes people angry with God. Well, why did he let that happen? Well, if you jump forward a few verses, he actually didn't let that happen. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating story and a great parallel for today, you know, because you hear the phrase so many times uh, that God may owe an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah if he doesn't have judgment on on us and the things that we're doing here in America. And maybe that's what we're seeing right now is is that judgment. I have to ask you before we run out of time, and of course, we'll take a couple minutes at the very end and give out all the information about your wonderful book and how people can get in touch with you through Skywatch TV. Uh, pick a couple of other stories. I love these stories. Pick a couple of other angel stories that, that really are your favorites and, and share those with us. Are you talking about the biblical stories that we talk about yeah, the, or the, the stories yeah, the, experiences? Yeah, the experiences from the beginning. I, I loved those. I loved them all. And I, oh. I, yeah, I, I and, and they're all different, you know, from different kinds of people in different situations. But I thought as the author, uh, share with us maybe your two favorite uh, stories that people shared with you about angels uh, intervening. 
Okay, well, I did mention Bruce Vanetta, and um, his story is really quite fascinating. Um, he was he was working on a Peterbilt logging truck, and he had to get on a. I don't know if you. I'm sure you probably know what a, a creeper is. You you lay on it and you roll under a car and you work on it. Right. And um, been been there many times. That it happened. Been to, on a creeper many times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so have I actually. Anyway, um, and so, you know, through a series of events, um, this, this Peterbilt logging truck falls on him and it basically cuts him completely in half and he's having this out of body experience and he sees these two and he describes them very much the way your grandpa described the angels near the furnace. He said they they were crouched over him, but if they would have stood, they would have been seven or eight feet tall, and they're glowing. And he said the way their presence was, um, they were so completely strong. It was a strength he had a real hard time putting into words. And um, he said the light just kind of emanated from the in, inner part of their being, and they were they held him together. And his story, um, his story is actually um, fascinating because it's also, like I said, accompanied with uh, basically a near death and out of body experience. And his his story, um, he's watching this all happen, and he knew things that a person couldn't have known if you were just like, let's say, hallucinating. Like, for example, there were some paramedics who arrived, and when they came in, they came in through the wrong door. And he later on was able to say, well, these other people came in through this other door. And he knew things that he couldn't have just known if he had just been kind of laying there hallucinating as he almost died, you know. And, um, he said that when he when he went out of his body, it, the pain was gone. But then <laughs> this paramedic who came in, she kept telling him, you have something on earth to fight for. Open your eyes. And then he remembered he had his wife and his kids and he had to fight. And so he, he every time she would call his name, she would say, Bruce Vanetta, open your eyes. And he would whoosh back into his body and he would feel that pain again. And he had to make a determination, you know, and he it's quite a fascinating story. And then we also had Mary Alawa, who... um she she's just a neat lady and I like her a lot and um she was in her house getting ready for a garage sale it wasn't very long after her husband had passed away and she had she needed to thin down the furniture and things like that in her uh in her household and so she had spent the day getting ready for a garage sale and she fell asleep on her couch and uh this was um you know in 2012 in February when uh when the um Tornadoes had gone all across the Midwest and torn up so many things, but it literally, um, literally lifted her house. But she was running for her phone and she went to answer her phone because somebody was calling her and she went and got her phone. And as she answered it, it basically went dead and she was in the hallway and she felt the very distinct feeling of a hand on her shoulder from behind her and beside her. So if you're standing facing a certain way and I walk up beside you and I'm standing behind you into your left shoulder, if I put my hand on your left shoulder, you're going to feel my four fingers in the front of your shoulder and my thumb on the back. And she felt it like that and it just pushed her straight into the floor, into the door jam, kind of right next to her bathroom door and held her there until the tornado was over and it had picked up her house and moved it in the whole thing. And she, um, wow. And she was just there on the floor. And what's really interesting is there are these common denominators, uh, in each story. Um, maybe not in each and every story, but there, there's a common thread. For example, 
uh, more than one person notes that the colors they saw when when the angel was near were vivid and there's no earthly words to describe them. Um, there are other people who, more than one occasion, these people said, they, they called out to God, don't let me be alone, be with me. And immediately they felt something with them. You know, I mean, it's just there are these certain things that they they run in patterns um and and it's always when they're calling out to god for help and and they're experiencing this spiritual thing and and again the angel shows up assists and leaves there's no angel worship there's no spirit guide it's not like that yeah and it, because these these other stories where my angel's name is Fred, and every morning when I wake up, he talks to me. Th- that that is not biblical, and that's what you're you're hearing these bizarre things. I I was absolutely not aware of these angel boards. Of course, I know what a Ouija board is. I'd never touch one of those, but an angel board. But this is becoming a very strange thing, and we have to all realize that we call them demons, but they're fallen angels. They are created as angels and they rebelled against god so they are angels but with an evil purpose uh that's pretty much the only difference uh, between a demon and an angel they're both really angels isn't that right uh in their origin yes and again you know if we realize that the bible tells us that the bible warns us that even lucifer can appear as an angel of light so if you think about it it seems like a pretty simple psychology. If, um, you know, if a being is going to come to you and try to distract you from God or create drama in your life or elicit worship that should be directed to God and now isn't, it's very unlikely he's going to show up looking evil. You would be repulsed. You would turn it away. You would go right away and start praying or doing things to get it out of your, um, you know, out of your home or out of your life or, you know, wherever it's, wherever it's manifest. Right. Satan is not going to show up. He's not going to show up like, you know, in one of these horror movies with horns and a pitchfork and all of that. And the same thing with, with angels, we see angels depicted as like fat little chubby babies and, and things along those lines. And, and that's not accurate either. So where, where do these images come from? Is it just that we, as, as, you know, as, as man, that we just decided to come up with these images because none of this is biblical that angels are fat little babies floating on clouds or that the devil looks has a pitchfork and horns and all of this. Did we just make this up? Actually, um, So the history on how all of that came to be is quite fascinating, and and Donna uh, Howell actually is my co-author on the book, and she really delved into that um, in this book. So if a person gets this book, they will also read all about the history on this. So there there are a few elements that play into how we went from angels being what they are to this idea. And by the way, if your church is hanging these chubby babies on the wall, your church is displaying pagan icons in their building. This is what I'm talking about. The church doesn't even realize how subtle this invasion is. So so understand that during the Byzantine iconoclasm, okay, of the, about the 700s, we went through the situation where, and it's a, it's a, it's a lot, and she does cover the history, but they they basically had uh 
gone through all these legalistic changes. You're not allowed to paint heavenly beings. Wait a minute, you are. Wait, no, you can't. And then we're going to burn all the all the paintings of heavenly beings and all the depictions and the sculptures. And then, then after a while, it was legal. We're going to recreate them. Well, what had kind of happened during all this period, and I am truncating in a way that would probably make a historian cringe because there's so much more to the story. But, it, but a lot of it's covered in the book. Um, what ended up happening is we arrived at a place where there was very little religious art left that was to do with any kind of biblical religion. However, there was still art that was the pictures of, you know, um, the, uh, the, the Greek god Eros, which is uh, Cupid, which is, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a little deviant um, god that runs around with an arrow, shooting people with an arrow, and it's not to make them fall in love like we think of Cupid. It was to drive them insane with a burning, insatiable lust that could only stop if it was satisfied. And so basically causing them not even to have their free will. This is the this is the lore at the time of this particular uh, god Eros that they believed um, in the in the pantheon. And the, well, there was a Greek version and there was a Roman version of this god. But, um, basically, he, his, his mission was to drive everybody crazy with lust and to make them go and have deviant sex. So this little baby with wings running around, when all the religious biblical art was gone and it was time to re- begin to repaint these things, they were hiring out artists who had been depicting other religions deities in their art. And so what these people did was they borrowed from the leftover icons of the Greek and Roman pantheon deities and began to depict biblical deities to look the same way. Um, You know, we have um, the, the the god Nike, Mercury, again, uh, Eros, a lot of these, a lot of these ancient gods are actually where the biblical depiction of spiritual beings get a lot of their traits. And if you think about it, they're not even, they're not even described that way in the Bible, and yet they're depicted that way in paintings. And then another thing that took place, and I know we're going to run out of time, I'll be very fast. When Joan of Arc was executed, whether or not she really heard from angels or what, what it was she, you know, I'm not going to get into all of that, although we do in the book, but there's no time. That, caused people to believe her angels were too weak to save her. Hmm. And so, again, angels became these weak little helpless babies who could only stand by and be sad that Joan of Arc died because they were not strong enough to save her. And so there's a lot of cultural and historical things that played into how we got from one place to another. And I, I know that we're out of time, but nutshell, it is in the book. And if you have Donna on, she'll, she can tell you all down down history all through it, how it all played out. And it's, it is fascinating. Now, we want people to get your book, Encounters, but I'm going to ask you this question. I usually don't do this with authors because I don't want to take away from your book. But um, other than your book, what other books on angels did you reference or do you like? Uh, of course, the classic uh, book on angels by Billy Graham, was that a book that you looked to as a resource? Were there any other writers that have written on this topic as well? 
Yeah, we, we did cite that book you're talking about by Billy Graham. Um, we also uh, cited Mike Heiser. He's got a new one out on angels. And then kind of around the same time, Donna and I, Donna Howell and I, also were co-authoring a book with Josh Peck called Afterlife. And some of the subject matter kind of intertwined, talking mm-hmm. about the near-death experiences and things like that. Um, and so we also did that. And then um, we also got kind of into Strong's Concordance and some of that, looking up the origin of these words, because there's a lot of everybody-knows type theology surrounding angels, and it's frustrating because you don't, you know, well, who who says that this means this? And people go, well, it, it just is. And as a researcher, you're you're saying, well, where does the Bible say that? Okay, let's go back and find these original words, and let's look. So we got into Strong's Concordance a lot, and... um and there were just uh, there were a lot of books like that that we used a lot. I of find it fascinating like uh, how how it, you never hear about other than the Christmas story in, in church, the mention of the angels. You never hear a sermon on angels. I, I can't tell you that I've ever heard a sermon on angels, and I've been attending church since I was seven years old. Is is there a reason why this is something we don't learn about from our leaders, our our pastors? Well, I I think that it's overlooked in the sense that people think a handful of things. One, they're not God and we're not supposed to worship them, so let's focus on God. Or um, the Bible is vague about angels, and so because there's so little, you know, the Bible is less vague than people realize. It's just that they're expecting, um, you know, a bigger production about their physical description or things like that. And really, the Bible is pretty simplistic. Like I said, they, they show up, they help you. They are portrayed as very fierce in the prophecy, but a lot of ministers shy away from prophecy because that gets complicated. Mm-hmm. So it, I think it's kind of one of those things where a lot of ministers stick to the the salvation the salvation message, and a lot of times angels get left out of that. But when you're in a church where 25% of people are reading their Bible and and angel boards and angel cards and spirit guides, this stuff is kind of migrating its way into the church. We got to start preaching about angels now. <laughs> yeah, just to just to get <laughs> people to, to straighten <laughs> people out so they don't get into all of this bizarre uh, angel nonsense that is going on in our culture. The book is called Encounters. Uh, so tell us. Uh, all about Skywatch TV and all the other ways they can connect up with you. And I know that Defender has package deals where you can get multiple books for a good price. Any and all of that that you want to share before we close out. Okay, thank you. Um, well, if you go to skywatchtvstore.com or skywatchtv.com, um, if you go to Skywatch TV store, you can literally type the word encounters into the search bar. It will pull up the book and the book can be purchased on its own or it is available in a package called the Life After Death Official Collection and it's the book Encounters, the book Afterlife, which I told you we also co-authored at the same time with Josh Peck. It talks more about um, near-death experiences and kind of what does science and all of that have to say about a lot of the things that are being claimed where that's concerned. And then Beyond Supernatural and Doctrines of Devils, uh, that's a 110 dollar value they're selling right now for $35 and again at Skywatch TV store Skywatch TV is um, you know it's Christian news uh, we we run a ranch we give um, free summer camp to children within the foster care system and try to get the message with that those Jesus miniature horses right uh, Joe Horn mm-hmm. was telling me about the yes. minute the miniature horses and you also do you have your own 
TV show on Skywatch, or are you just a frequent guest? Tell us about that. I'm a frequent guest right now. I work full time for Defender Publishing in the research part of, of of the of the work, and so I'm not always on TV. We do have a new one coming called Simply His, which will be women, and uh, I'll probably be regular on that. I'll probably be on that one every time. And so it's um, my my uh, description here is ever evolving. And people say, "What do you do?" I, whatever they tell me. <laughs> well, so Simply <laughs> His research, will, will be I kind write, of like I a go on TV. <laughs> Simply His. So that will be like like a Christian, uh, you know, version of the view that, that actually makes sense maybe, right? Is that what that's going to be? We've been careful to, well, we've been, yeah, we've been careful to avoid that word because we've never wanted to seem like we're targeting yeah. any one TV show as a competitor. But, you know, women haven't had a lot of stimulating conversational television. Uh, you know, it's been a lot of things like soap operas and <laughs> crazy daytime talk shows that are much more like dramatic. And um, we're, we're trying to make a relatable show that women can get into and really talk about, you know, what does scripture say? And women are, women are very, yeah, there's, uh, women are the they smartest uh, that are biblical. They're definitely <laughs> women are the smartest gender. So that'll be a good show. And uh, the men we can all watch and, and kind of try to figure you folks out because that's our lifelong goal. There will be coffee involved. <laughs> okay, so, there yeah, you go. There will be coffee involved. Yeah, as long as there's so. coffee and <laughs> uh, it's too. not too early in the day, it sounds like it'll be a lot of fun. Allie Anderson, thank you so much yeah, for being with us. Great job and wonderful new book, Encounters. We encourage everybody to get it. Thank you so much, and we hope you'll be back with us again soon. Wow, that was great. I, I love the topic of angels. I mean, who doesn't like to talk about angels? And such a nice, positive topic to get into after everything that's going on right now. Uh, but we sure hope you'll stay in touch with us throughout the week. Uh, check me out over at so uh, my all my social media pages pages through the website, ChristianMoney.com. And uh, we'll be back next week with Pastor Paul Begley. Remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next time. So long, everybody. <laughs>